You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Well, it looks like we're back to normal, like the amount of people in here and the amount of people walking out of here. Had some holiday, like, sparse, you know, attendance in here, but now it's full and it's great. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm Garrett. I'm uh, the other family pastor here, and I spoke last week and I speak this week. Fred's going on sabbatical, and then two weeks uh, of Jason, and then Fred will be back. So, uh, so you guys have a lot to look forward to until Fred gets back, and then it's back to Fred. Just kidding. Um, no, I'm looking forward for him to get back because, you know, we have to pick up all the slack. And, um, but we're praying that he's having a good sabbatical, getting uh, the rest and refreshment and renewal that he needs, and finishing a dissertation. Um, I talked with him a little bit this week, and he said writing his dissertation is messy and, like, uh, like when I write a sermon, when I teach the kids, it's pretty, like, I just, I just talk, right? Like, I, I know what I'm going to say and I talk, but when I do a sermon, I got to, like, line up with slides. I got to be in, like, you know, in connection with the people doing the slides. I got to, like, say it in order and, uh, you know, so I have to, like, manuscript it. And, and last week, you know how it fell in and I had that repeated phrase throughout the thing? I had that, um, what was it? Like, I, I don't know if you know how things work around here, but, like, there was that. Um, this week, um, I just had notes everywhere and sources, and, and that's what I kind of do. I kind of like, oh, this would be cool to say. Like, everything I'm going to say, by the way, has been said before. Like, nothing is original. Uh, <laughs> but, so, but just so you know that I'm not plagiarizing, that's, giving, that's me giving credit to, I don't, I don't even know where I got most of this stuff, but it's been said before. Um, so it's just a, it was just a big jumble mess, and this week was crazy. And, um, and so, like, I'm throwing it together at the last minute, and so... It's maybe not as composed as last week, and like we'll see how it goes. So, uh, but but every time I come to this like sermon writing thing, like I'm an artist, like I like to design and like make things beautiful, and so sermons like art to me. You know, you move it around, you, you piece it together, and you and you make this composition thing. Um, and and there's a nervousness and an anxiety and a weight that I feel because it it's important, right? Like it like there's a weight to this, like handling God's word, like sharing it um, in this conversation together. And I want it to be compelling, and I want the results. I was thinking about Acts chapter 2, and um, the first, uh, uh, Peter spoke the first sermon after the ascension on the day of Pentecost, and he starts a sermon like, we're, we're not drunk, um, so <laughs> maybe that's the secret, um, because at the end of his sermon, he said, uh, like, it says that like 3,000 were added to their number that day, like 3,000 people, like radically change their lives like and I want results like that right like I want this to like that's the kind of thing I want to like I want my message to, like you guys just like I'm giving up everything for Jesus and I'm going to live radically for the rest of my life and um but here's the thing um sermons don't do that right like like spoken word for 10 or for 20 30 minutes 40 hour hour and a half I'm just kidding uh, ho- hopefully not uh, uh it doesn't do that what it takes is, is putting flesh on those words Right, it takes uh, transformation that we're looking for. Um, takes takes work, takes effort. It doesn't. It's not going to just happen because I talked to you. Um, and so we have Jesus coming uh, and putting flesh on words. Right, he's the Word, uh, and he moved in and he put flesh on. And we talked about that last week when he became human. Right, the incarnation. So it's going to take love. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take work, and it's the work of God. Right, God does this work within us to change. Uh, us within us and then to change the whole world Um, and it's going to take continual reminding continual recommitment continual uh, 
effort and commitment to this work. And so today, um, I want to talk about that transformation, and I want to focus on the story of Jesus being baptized by his cousin John. And now, um, I'm glad that Aaron did that big idea there, because I imagine John as this, <laughs> as this punk rock guy, right? This rebellious punk rocker. Um, because of his sense of fashion, right? He wore these weird, like, leather, le this leather belt, this camel hair stuff. He ate a weird diet. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't vegan because he was eating a bug. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and he's, I imagine, the, the wild hair because he lived out in the wilderness. He probably didn't bathe much. Um, and, and, he's, and he's screaming. And, and I've been to these concerts. Have you guys been to these concerts, right? And it, like, there's, there's a band in this, like, abandoned, strange warehouse and like everybody finds their way and there's, there's screaming and there's people like smashing into each other. Like it's a great time. Like if you guys don't know, um, these punk rock concerts where just we're moshing and we're like screaming and all of this stuff. So, so that's how I envision John. And maybe I have a problem because last week I envisioned Mary as this punk rock rebellious teenage girl. Um, I have a problem imagining all the Bible characters as these punk rock rebel uh, type things. And, well, but maybe that's where John got it from was Aunt Mary, right? Like, like she's so, yeah, I want to be like her. Um, and so <laughs> we find ourselves in Luke chapter 3. We skip ahead. John's, John's all grown up. Jesus is all grown up. Um, and, and John is like this Elijah type of prophet. He's preparing the way for the Messiah, baptizing people, calling them to repent. And there's that word repent. And I don't know if you've heard that word. I don't know if you have some baggage that comes along with that word because in our society, I don't know if you've seen this, repent is kind of a word used to, as, as a weapon to tell people how horrible they are, right? And, and we have people show up at concerts or at um, sporting events with signs and bullhorns and, and they got all this, you know, the, the word repent is combined with fire and burn um, and then lists of people that are going to to, to burn. Uh, I don't know if you can read some of the smaller prints, so I'll, I'll tell you some of my favorites on the list. Um, rock and rollers, which, you know, like, that's what I repented too. Like, I became, okay. Um, used car dealers is, is on one of those lists. Um, yuppies is on the list. I don't even know what that is. Um, country music lovers is on that list. I mean, some of these people are my friends, right? Like, I mean, like this, this whole list of people. And if, if these are the things that you think of when you hear that word, then I'm sorry, right? Repent. And if you picture this guy, I'm sorry. And, and if you didn't think of that, but now you do because I put up his pictures, again, I'm sorry. Um, now, if you're like me, uh, that word, it, it has this baggage. It has this, like, cultural connotation. And you have this guy holding the sign, yelling repent, using it as a weapon, telling you how horrible you are. And you might see John like this because John, in verse 7, Sounds like that guy. Let me read it to you. He then said to the crowds who came to be baptized, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our fathers. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Right? John sounds like those guys. Now, I don't know if those guys got their idea from John or if um, John got his idea from them. But what, what we need to see is in Matthew, the people that he's talking to, like Luke doesn't include who he says this to. But Matthew says that he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's talking to religious leaders, not the sinners on the list. 
but more like the people holding the signs. Right? And so these guys uh, are completely missing the point, these bullhorn sign-holding guys. They're, they're the ones that John is speaking against in these verses. And so you could see John like that, unless we enter into the text and maybe get to know the context and the culture that John finds himself in. Because people are coming to him. They want whatever this is that John's talking about. So listen to Luke describe what John is doing a few verses before this. And he uses the words of another prophet, Isaiah. Verse 3, he went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill be made low. Crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. And I have to say um, these words from Isaiah as a, from the perspective of someone who uses a wheelchair are refreshing, right? Like the steep mountains are going to be brought low. The valleys are going to be brought up. It's going to be smooth, right? No rough paths, no crooked paths. Smooth, straight, not in level. Like, and, and even for people whose legs that work, like the, that's just better uh, for all of us. But we're not talking about our mobility on mountains here, right? We're talking about removing barriers between us and God. We're, we're talking about God's work of removing the obstacles between humanity and himself. Now, specifically, John is there making the path straight for Jesus. And the way for Jesus wasn't obstacle-free, but when Jesus comes to an obstacle, he removes it, not only for himself, but for us, right? He, he, he removes them as he comes from them, and then there's John making the path straight for Jesus. So this thing that John is doing is about removing the things that are in our way. So look at the verses following the, the burn and fire part that John said to the scribes and the Pharisees because they responded, what then should we do? The crowds asked him. And he replied, to the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and they asked, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than you have been authorized. And some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. It's like he's saying to get rid of the stuff that's in the way, and in doing so, help your neighbor. Stop using your power to lift yourself up, and rather use it to lift others up. And all of this is what repentance looks like. And for us to understand this word and kind of get away from maybe what we thought of that word, and why people would run toward it rather than away from it like I want to do when I see Bullhorn Guy. Uh, we, we need to begin in the beginning, right? Because some of the problem is that we begin in chapter 3 where bad enters the story rather than in chapter 1 where it was all good. And so in Genesis chapter 1, you find the Spirit of God hovering over the water and God's Word spoken into the chaos and the void that brought order and beauty and so as God spoke, creation comes into order, and there's this poem that builds and builds with, with these repeated lines. And one of these lines we need to grab hold of, and we need to root within the deepest part of our hearts. And that line is, God saw that it was good. Day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, 
It was good, day five. Now day six, the rhythm changes. There's this breakdown in this poem, uh, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock on all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. God created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Verse 30. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Beloved, you are created in the image of God. And the first word spoken over you by this God who knows you best and loves you most, who created you, he looks upon you and he says, very good. Now, I don't know if you're keeping track, but that's better than regular good. And so if we begin in the beginning and start to understand these Hebrew scriptures, that we're in the minds of the ones showing up excited about repentance. So let's look at this Hebrew word, repentance. It's teshuva, right? Or just the root word shuv, repent or return or turn. It has this idea, this understanding of moving us to change the way we live, right? Like transforming our minds, changing our minds. So we begin good, very good, and then we mess that up in chapter 3 when bad enters the story and God's God says, repent, turn back to the good, come back home. And in the Greek, it's metanoia. It's this idea of meta, meaning after, changing. It's where we get our, our word metamorphosis, right? The, the change. Uh, metanoia, changing of our mind, the shift, this change that happens uh, when God calls us to change. This, there's a life-changing experience. You have this metamorphosis. You have this metanoia, this turn, this change, turn around. So, so now, when we understand this word, and we understand that the story begins with good, the guy holding the sign that says repent, he's like, it's more like saying, you're very good. <laughs> instead, of, instead of trying to say repent because you're a horrible, what he's, like, if we understand the word repent, dude, even though it sounds so angry and mad and, and mean, you're very good. You've just gotten off the path a little bit. Come back home. Right? Let's, let's do this together. Let's get this right. Repent! <laughs> so we're getting there. We're starting to understand why people are excited about this punk rock prophet screaming, Teshuva! in the wilderness. And the way Matthew and Luke record the story, the readers familiar with God's story, they would see what's going on here. Right? You have a God who creates and calls us good. A God who hears the cry of his people when they're being enslaved, and he redeems them, he rescues them, he saves them. Their salvation's secure. And now they're wandering through the desert, and they're becoming a nation. They experience the wilderness together. They receive the law that set them apart and gave them a structure. And it starts with this guy, Moses, leading, out, leading them out of the city into the wilderness, but first they pass through water. Right? God parted the sea. They passed through the water, a baptism. And they come out of their baptism, but their enemy doesn't. The enemy stays behind in the water. And so you have this story of the Israelites, a story where God hears their cry. He keeps his promise to rescue them. He leads them out of Egypt to a land that he has for them, a journey that should take 11 days. But they didn't trust God, and that two-week two -week journey turned into 40 years. And so a whole generation would pass. The first generation would not enter into the promised land. And this 40 years turns into this time that God was teaching them and forming them and transforming them into the people he wants them to be. But if you know this story, 
they just keep messing up over and over again, and it's so frustrating, right? They, they shove towards God, but then they shove away from God, right? And God's telling them over and over, I have life for you. I have blessings for you. Over and over again, they turn away. Like, why would you do that? Like, God's saying, here's the blessing, and, and you turn away? Like, what's wrong with these people? Like, like, who are these people? I'll tell you who these people are. They're the people we see in the mirror every day, right? Like, like they're us. Like, the Israelites' story, the frustration that I feel against the Israelites, the same frustration I feel within my own self. Because I do that too. I turn towards God, and I turn away from God. But they just can't seem to get it right. They can't stay on the same path. They can't stay rooted in the good that God created them to be. And we're the same way. And we know deep down in the deepest part of our being where we were created good, and yet we turn from that good. But we know it, right? Like, like we know it because there's that part of us that is good. We know when we're not in that place. If we're honest with ourselves, we take a step back and see the moments that we're wrong. When we hurt someone we love or when we neglect the ones God calls us to love. When we see the good we should do and we're too busy or we're too selfish, sometimes we love ourselves more than we love God. And there's something within us that, that knows we're off the path. We're missing the mark. And the word for that is sin. And we need to return. We need to turn around. We need to teshuva, to shuv. This is why we make New Year's resolutions, right? Like we, we know that something's not right. Something could be better. And we're just like the Israelites. And we have to go through the water. We have to go through the wandering in the wilderness to get the transformation that we want. But we can't do it on our own. Now we have a role to play. Like we have to shove. We have to work at it. But it's God's work of grace and doing what we can't do for ourselves. So Moses realizes uh, after getting to know these people for 40 years, he knows their heart. Right? It, it, they have a heart problem. They can't do it on their own. And so we come to the book of Deuteronomy, which is a collection of Moses' final speeches before they enter the promised land. And this book is this, this pep talk, right? And there's themes uh, of listen and obey, right? And if they listen, there will be life and blessing. But if they don't, there will be a curse, right? Not the life that they want. Things like struggle, things like exile. And there's this call to love God deeper, right? To love God. So love is deeper than just listening, right? And so there's this struggle that they can't change their heart, right? They can't love God with their whole heart. They keep shooting the other direction. And so what we need is love, ultimately. So we come to chapter 4 in Deuteronomy we have the Shema. This is this prayer that they said multiple times like a liturgy. And so in chapter 4, it says, Now listen, Israel, to this... Oh, wait, I'm not to the Shema yet. This is before that. Um, where Moses is, is telling them the blessings that they will get if they're careful to listen. So, so first you've got to listen, then you've got to love. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live. Enter and take possession of the land Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So this idea of listen and obey, right? There will be life. You will prosper. You will be blessed. God doesn't say listen and obey so that you can be saved, right? He, he, he's speaking to a redeemed people. They've already been saved from, this, from slavery in Egypt. Now they need to listen and trust God who already saved them 
so that they may live, so that they may have life, like Jesus talked about, abundant life, life to the full, a life where you will be blessed, where you will prosper. But we know the problem. They, they won't listen. They won't obey, right? It's this heart problem. Ultimately, it's going to take love rather than this striving and constant failing for obedience. And this is seen in the Shema, this repeated liturgy, chapter 6. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, this is what you need. You need to listen, but ultimately it needs to grow into love. Right? Jesus says the most important law is to love God and love your neighbor. And it starts with listening. And so I, I think about my kids. Like, like, how many times do you tell your kids to listen? Listen, you're not listening. And now you're in trouble for not listening. Right? And that's how Moses is with the Israelites. Listen, listen, listen. Obey, obey, obey. Listen and obey. But at some point, like, the kids grow up, and, and you don't have to say that as much. Hopefully. <laughs> um, you don't have to say, listen, 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 listen. You're not listening. And so we have to move. And so De- Deuteronomy takes us through all of those laws. So I said it's this pep talk. Moses introduces it saying, you've got to listen to these laws. He gives us all the laws. And then we come to chapter 28. And Moses goes through this list of blessings that will come if they are careful to obey. And that list of blessings is 14 verses. And I think like the people listening like to this pep talk or at this 14 verses are pretty feeling pretty good about themselves, right? Like, like these are the blessings we're going to get. Yeah, we're about to enter the promised land. It's going to be awesome. We're going we're gonna to obey. We're going to listen. Yeah, and then Moses gets into what's going to happen if they don't listen, right? And we go into curses, which is the opposite of blessing. And it's a long chapter. It's 68 verses, so there's 14 verses of blessing, 54 verses of curses. And the people are noticing that this list of curses just isn't ending. And Moses, it's because Moses knows how this is going to go, right? He spent enough time with these people that he knows how this will end. And his pep talk is turning into this sad story of what's to come. I can imagine like a coach in the locker room. All right, guys, we're entering the promised land. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to get all these blessings, but you're going to lose. Like, you're not going to (laughs) win. Like, you're not good enough to do this. We all know the other team's better. Like, (laughs) that's a bad coach. (laughs) Come on, Moses. So there's going to be times where you guys get this right, 14 whole verses worth, right? You're going to do a good job. You're 14 verses of blessing, but you're not always going to get it right. In fact, a whole 54, 58 verses of not getting it right. And so we come to chapter 30, when, and Moses knows how it's going to go. He's like, when all these things happen to you, the blessings and the curses I have set before you, Moses knows it's all going to happen. You're going to do good like 14 verses worth of good, and then you're going to do bad, like 58 verses of bad. Um, so, so blessings are going to come. You're going to get it right, but more often than not, you're going to end up in exile, right? You're, you're going to fail. But all you have to do is return. All you have to do is shuv. All you have to do is uh, a little bit of repentance. So verse 2, and, and you and your children... Return to the Lord your God, and when you obey him with all your heart and soul by doing everything that I've given you today, then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. All you have to do is return. Just come back. Anytime. Turn back toward God, and he will welcome you back home. He wants you back. He wants the best for you. And he will take you back. You're never too far gone. All you have to do is turn back. 
that's good news, right? Like, that's a whole sermon in itself. But it's also kind of not good news because we know how this is going to go. <laughs> They're not always going to turn back. Right? Like, it's, it's, it's our problem, too. These Israelites they're not always going to get it right. Maybe 14 verses worth, but 54 verses of not getting it right, not listening. It's because we have this heart problem, right? It's just not getting better no matter how hard we fight against it. Don't get me wrong, you're good, right? There's this universal good within all of us because God made us that way. He made us in his image, and he said that truth about us. But it is that good within us that we know when we have a problem. Right? When we're not getting it right, when we're not living into that good that God created us to be. We know when we mess up. And so it's good news that we can shuv, right? It's good news that we can turn back to God and he welcomes us and he loves us. Verse 4, even if your exiles are at the ends of the earth, he will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your father possessed and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. But here's the good news, and, and it's a little subtle, awkward part of Moses' speech. Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you will live. Yes, circumcision. We're going to talk about it. Last week, you know, the kids were in here, and I had to say things like virgin and being intimate with and you know, and so you probably had to go home and have those conversations like, what's a virgin? And, you know, where do babies come from? I don't know. And so at least the kids aren't in here when I say this word circumcision because that's going to be a, a question. And maybe there's some of you in here today that's like, I don't know what circumcision is. Don't Google it. Don't. I would advise against that. Um, but maybe have an awkward conversation with someone sitting next to you if <laughs> you don't know what that is. So circumcision was this requirement for Israelite men, and it involved cutting off a piece of skin. And it represented their identity. It represented the continuing of the family line by being fruitful and multiplying. And Moses is saying, ultimately, for this to work, y'all need heart surgery, right? God is going to have to do this work of cutting away the pieces of you that came as a result of the fall, the parts of you that aren't really you, the parts of you that you weren't created to be. And then you will love him. Notice he doesn't say here, and then you will obey him which is he's been focusing on this whole time. Listen, obey, listen, obey, blessing, curse, blessing, curse. You will love him with all your heart. You need God's help to get there, right? And that's the good news is that God will do the work. He will perform the heart surgery necessary for you to move beyond the ups and downs of obedience and disobedience to a love relationship where your heart is transformed and that's what we need and that's what we want. But we don't always like how that comes because it takes both, right? We have to do the work. We have to shoot. We have to turn. But it also takes God's works of grace to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So you have this story of Israel passing through the water into 40 years of wandering where they failed over and over again. You have Moses who knows these people. And he knows they're going to fail. And he's reminding them that they can shoot any time. And then you have John the Baptist calling people out into the wilderness with a message of repentance, to shuva. Right? He's inviting them into the water. And you have Jesus coming to be baptized. Luke 3, 21. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice 
came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. So you see the picture here? You have the spirit hovering over the water, like when God created all things good. You have God speaking love and delight over Jesus. You see this, you see this new creation happening here? And before Jesus did anything, right, did any work of ministry or teaching or miracles or training disciples, before his work of suffering and sacrifice and death and ultimately defeating death, before anything, God is pleased, Jesus is loved, and he is a delight to him. Before he does any work, beloved, in your baptism, God is speaking over you. Before you do any act of service, any good deed, any work towards justice, any working out of your faith, it's in the work that God does in that water, just in your willingness to follow Jesus into the death, burial, and resurrection. Before you do any of the things of living out your faith, God is speaking over you. You are my child, my beloved child, and I take delight in you. It's in your baptism that we're reminded of the heart surgery that God does for us in sending the Holy Spirit not to just hover the, over the water, but to enter into us, right? New creation is happening. Something has to die. You have a part to do in turning into shuva, but it's God's work of grace to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And Jesus comes out of the water, and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, right? Just like 40 years for Israel. And in Jesus' 40 days of fasting and temptation, where unlike Israel, he doesn't fail over and over again, but he overcomes. He overcomes for us. It's God doing what we couldn't do. And in overcoming, he's removing the barriers. He's making the way accessible. He's performing the heart surgery on the whole cosmos, making the way for the broken to become whole again. He's bringing peace. He's bringing shalom to the chaos. It's a new creation. It's a new humanity. It's a new kingdom. We often think that Jesus didn't have any sin, so he didn't have to repent, right? But if we understand teshuva as the central part of the story, and this ongoing practice and lifestyle, Jesus wants to join with us in this beautiful thing, right? It's in his solidarity with us that he's inviting us to return to the good that is already deep within inside us. Right? Jesus, Jesus was there in the beginning when it was all good, and it's his work that will make it that way again. It's his work that removes the obstacles for us. It's his invitation to join him in, in the ongoing creation, the ongoing creating of beauty amidst the chaos and shalom. It's him renewing and constantly being transformed. We're joining him in the ongoing creation the good that he created you to be. So each week we come to this table and we're reminded that it takes more than 20 minutes, 30, how, how long did I go? Uh, it takes more than the, the 25, 30 minutes sermon, right? It, it takes more than words. It takes a body. And so God came and he put on flesh, right? He came in the body of a baby and he grew up and he showed us the way to be human, and so we come to this table to remember the body and the blood, right? He, he sat there that Thursday night with his friends, and he said, this, this is my body broken for you. This cup is my blood shed for you. This is a new thing that's happening, right? This is what it takes for transformation. The sacrifice, this broken body, this pouring out 
right? Jesus was, was showing his friend what it's going to take for the transformation that they're looking for. The people that were coming out to John because he was shouting repentance, they were looking for something. They wanted to be a part of this thing. And Jesus says, this is the way. It's going to take death. It's going to take constant teshuva. Right? God came in a body. He sacrificed that body for us, but that body didn't stay dead. He defeated death for us. And so he's inviting us to shuv. He's inviting us to turn back to this table and then out into our weak, still shuved toward him, right? Still turning toward God. So each week we come to this table because it takes a body and then he sends us out as his body. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.